Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are recapping a ton of action for the Kansas Jayhawks. We had a football game up in Ames this weekend that we've got to talk about because the Jayhawks got a nice big road win for them. And then the basketball season has officially started. We have the first real game, not one of those exhibitions that we you know, only half paid attention to, but a real game for the Kansas Jayhawks. And man, was it an opener. Um, I thought this team was good before we got started. But, uh, man, it was, it was great to see what they did last night. Of course, to help me break all this down and to, to recap everything is my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how are you doing today? It's been a fun 96 hours. Although I will say that I, uh, some would argue that those exhibition games were, were too closely paid attention to because there was a lot of wild stipulations that were in conclusions that people jumped to after a couple of iffy performances that then yeah, I meant, I meant, on, on I meant we as in you and me, because I definitely yeah, did right. not really care too much about them. Like I had the Illinois game. I like, I watched the Illinois game because one, because we had podcasted right before it. And, uh, you know, I was reminded that, Hey, it's coming on at five o'clock tonight. Um, but the other exhibition game, you and I were talking and getting stuff kind of pulled together and figuring out what, how we were actually going to cover it if we were. And it was just like, Oh, I kind of forgot we had an exhibition game tonight. So. Um, tells you how, yeah. how important those exhibition games really are because yeah, they're really not, but, um, let's it's go a busy ahead and, time right now. No, oh, no, gosh. Early November is a, is a busy time. Well, and it's 12. not just a busy time for big 12 and for school, for basketball and, you know, for all of these sports, but just in general, as everybody's getting ready for holidays and, you know, we're getting ready to enter that, that season where everybody has way too much stuff going on anyway. So, but Let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, start with the football game because I obviously want it to happen first, but also I think this was a game that was a huge stepping forward point for the Jayhawks. Obviously, I think the big news coming into the week or coming into the game was the fact that Jalen Daniels did not travel with the team. Um, he actually stayed home. Uh, talked about this with a few other people, but essentially what it, what it really came down to and what Lance Leipold said after the game was that they did not want to bring Jalen Daniels on that, you know, four hour bus ride because it wasn't good for his back and he probably wasn't going to be available anyway. Um, after doing a little bit more digging, it seems like there 
might have been some sort of setback last week where he wasn't able to practice the same way he was the week before. And unfortunately, with a back injury, that's kind of just the way it is. You know, it's a little bit – it's good one week, and then the next week you can have a setback that unfortunately, you know, feels like you're not going anywhere. So um, this is the first time that I'm starting to get worried about him potentially coming back the rest of this year. So um, I don't want to, like, focus on that because, hey, Jason Bean has been doing a fantastic job uh, filling in for him. But before we jump dive into the actual game itself here, um, anything that strikes you at all about the whole Jalen Daniels situation, whether it's, you know, what they've done without him being there or, you know, how important it is for them to get him back. Yeah. Well, and, and this is the, this is the tricky part because for one, I, I feel bad for Jalen Daniels. Cause like I've, I've, I, I am not a, I am not an athlete to the caliber as a college football player, but I've had like the, the, I through basketball got hit a, a disc in my back out of place that took been in, going to chiropractors for years and it still flames up and it, like it it's just unless you kind of experience it and like I'm I don't I'm not even saying I've experienced it to his level it's it can be a debilitating injury when you're trying to turn your body the way a quarterback has to turn his body to throw and just you're moving around and everything so first of all like I I completely get it and now you're at the point of the year where to your point. Two of the three games you say you should be able to easily win with Jason Bean. You got Texas Tech this week and you got Cincinnati to end it. K-State honestly is, is kind of a toss-up right now. Like I don't think I would say that Will Howard's been playing a whole lot better than Jason Bean has over the last month or so. And that's where you kind of have to look at it is one for for Jalen's purposes, and I do believe I, I don't believe all the transfer speculation in that I believe he wants to get out there as soon as he can. Um, and it's pagan him, but I think you as the training staff also have to say, especially with a back injury that's been lingering for this long, don't put him out there unless he's 100% because you can win these three games without him. Jason Bean's been playing really well. There's no reason to shake things up. It's not like, you know, Kansas is at five wins and the, the chance to go bowling is is slowly trickling away. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I wish that he was playing this year. Um, I think he had, there's a lot of high expectations. It's been disappointing, but at this point, it seems like the risk far outweigh the rewards in terms of trying to rush to get him back before the end of the regular season. When now it seems like, you know, especially I think over the last two weeks, the team has very much embraced Jason Bean's, you know, place in the roster and uh, things are starting to, to jive a little bit. And again, the the schedule is not monstrous. I mean, even even if you drop the K-State game, you're sitting at nine and three if everything else goes how it can. And Jason Bean can get them to that point. So it just seems like it's it's way too risky and very minimal rewards, acknowledging how great of a player Jalen Daniels is to try and bring him back, especially if he's not 100% on something that can so, so, so quickly and easily be re-aggravated to the point where then he's out for a long period of time. Yeah, and from what I've been able to gather talking with some people that aren't like privy to the exact situation here, but just based off of what's been released and kind of the some some of the information I've been able to gather is that it seems like there's potentially something that they could have done earlier in the year to fix the issue. The problem, of course, being that once you do something medically like that, there's a very good chance he's done for the year uh, anyway. And, and I think the the way it's been described to me is that if that's the procedure he ends up having or having. Um, it's not going to matter whether he waits and has it the end of the year or does it in the middle of the year for being available next season and being available for, you know, a, at least a good portion of the spring as well. So, you know, he wants to be out there. He's doing everything he can to try to be out there. And, 
you know, he's still getting feedback from what I understand that there's a possibility he could get back out there and play. I think they're, I think they're nearing the point where it's like, well, but Jason Bean's been playing so well. Do you really want to bench a guy that's been playing this well? Um, you know, for a guy that is trying to come back from an injury and, you know, there is the side benefit that if, if Jalen Daniel only, if Jalen Daniels only plays in one more game the rest of the year, he's eligible to redshirt, which means you could have him not only next year, but the year after as well. Now, granted, they do feel really good about the quarterbacks that they have coming in, and they do have some really good quarterback recruits as well. So there's no guarantee that Jalen Daniels, one, sticks around for another year after this year, um, or two, that, you know, if he sticks around, they might end up losing one of those guys that they think is going to be a three- or four-year starter for them. So, um, again, you take a guy like Jalen Daniels, if he's at his peak performance any day of the week because of what he's able to do and what we've seen him do, but... Um, you know, I think that's the worry at this point is that if he does come back, is he actually going to be able to perform at the level that he needs to for Kansas to be able to take that step forward? And I'm just not, I'm just not convinced at this point. That being said, a lot of that has to do with what Jason Bean did in this game and in the last few games. So Kansas winning 28, 21 on the road in Ames. Um, you know, I, I think there was a, it wasn't even necessarily a tale of two halves. I think it was just that, uh, you know, injuries and other things kind of piled up a little bit and, and Iowa State was able to make a comeback. But what do you think was more impressive, the way that Jason Bean was able to handle those drives, um, you know, especially as Iowa State was coming back, or the way that this defense came out and started this game in, in the first half? Yeah, I well, uh, not taking anything away from the defense, I will say Bean, just because when you're in a hostile environment like that and the crowd was into it, the lead had just been slashed. Like, you're on the road at night. It's, it's a packed stadium. They're all loud. And that's a tough place to be in. And it's a credit to Bean and it's credit to, to Kotelnicki and the offensive staff because there was some really good play calling there to put him in a position. Clearly they saw something because they were taking shots deep all throughout the game with very minimal, uh, you know, risk or anything like that. Like it was either it was an incomplete pass or there was, there was really no shot. I, they must have seen something with Iowa State secondary where these deep shots over the middle <laughs> were something they wanted to keep going with. Funny and then it worked that. out, and that's yeah. Well, funny you say that because Lawrence Arnold in the press conference after, which we do, we do have that video up over on Blue Wings Rising, um, but he was talking about how in the first half, you know, he was going to make cuts, you know, or, or run deep, and guys, even without the ball being like fake to him or going throwing to him or anything like that, that the safeties were crashing into the in, into the you know the line trying to stop the run, um, and they kept doing that even when. You know, even when it didn't look like it was going to be a run, it was a pretty clear pass. So they were able to kind of see that and in real time react to it to know that, hey, we've got that over the top in the middle if we want it. The question is, when do we break it out and how, how can we best maximize? And of course, it happened with Lawrence Arnold getting that 80 yard touchdown pass, um, you yeah. know, to be able to, to go ahead and pull Kansas back up by 10 when Iowa State had had a huge touchdown to be able to come back and pull it with a three. And I think that's I think that's the credit is that you know with this offense it's bread and butter is the run game and Iowa State Tids credit did a really good job of 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 shutting it down but you saw what that meant like they were solely focused on the run they were stacking the box like it was a all out hey Jason Bean go beat us over the top and let's see if it happens and that's why I think it's so impressive what he did because he took on that challenge and he he threw some darts now there's some great plays that Quentin Skinner catch on the sideline was, you know, an incredible individual effort, but also like that Arnold pass was a beautiful uh, one by Bean. He had a couple of darts on the sidelines. This was the first time in, I, uh, let's see, I just had it up here. 
This was the first time since the Central Florida game that KU didn't turn the ball over on offense, um, and they definitely needed it. That's only the third time all year they haven't had a turnover on offense. So, uh, or special teams, I guess we should say offense or special teams. Um, and that's a credit to being like you. You're right. They they were cheating to really make sure that Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw didn't beat them, or even being on the ground and scrambling because that's obviously a fear as well. And so. The, the play calling was great to do that. You even saw that on that really short third and one where they fake the handoff and Jared Casey, he just lobs it up over, over the defense. And, and it was a first down, you know, 14 yards or whatever. So um, it's a tough space to be in. Kansas hasn't always stepped up on the road like that. And for Jason Bean to be as clean as he was now, there was a couple throws that uh, I, I'm sure he wants back. And I feel like that's just going to be every game there's going to be a couple of wow plays from him. And there's going to be a couple where it's like, oh, I bet you wanted that one back. What exactly were you thinking there? And that's okay because that's, I think that's what you want. But most of the game, he was clean and they, the Iowa state defense sure seemed like it kind of dared him to beat them and that it was going to not let Devin Neal beat him or Daniel Highshaw beat him uh, and being delivered, which is why I think, you know, the defense was outstanding, but I think you got to tip your hat to him. You got to tip your hat to Kodaleki and some of the game planning and the play calling it all just lined up really, really well there. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think one of the most impressive stats was the fact that Kansas was 7 of 14 on third and fourth down. Um, and the reason that that's impressive is because they were routinely in, like, third and six, third and eight, third and, you know, nine. Like, they were in third and long, and routinely Jason Bean was able to get a pass to get them out of it. Um, you know, those were some huge things that he was able to do. Uh, and, and you're right. Like, Iowa State shut down the run was basically saying, hey, Bean, you're going to have to beat us in the air. And Oklahoma State did a similar sort of thing. Um, but Bean, you know, was able to consistently get over the top on them. I th- do think Iowa State's defense and, and and secondary is a little bit better. They just cheated a little bit too much in some cases. But, uh, you know, Kansas is, was able to use the speed that they have. Quentin Skinner went long for quite a few passes. And I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because Jason Bean is widely credited as the fastest guy on the team. I think in straight line speed, that's probably true. You know, and he does a really good job of, um, you know, once he actually gets up to speed and going. But uh, I think Quentin, Quentin Skinner is one of those guys that has a burst that allows him to get past guys that he, you just don't even see it coming. Because I think there was plenty of, you know, I saw three or four times from the press box where Quentin Skinner's route was stop in front of the guy. And then the second he tries to, like, square up to you, just take off and burn him. And there was, like, three or four times where he was three or four yards away and created a ton of separation. So, um, you know, I, I do think that Kansas has a a ton of different tools that they can use, and I, I was a little bit disappointed with the ground game, but I do think when you when you take into account the fact that it had snowed just a few days before and it all melted, the the field was really slick. Um, guys were slipping all over the place. In fact, you know, Rocco Beck got got a, got sacked technically um, on. Well, I, I don't know if it actually counted as a sack, but he slipped, kind of rolling out trying to you know extend a play so he could throw it and went down. And Kansas was able to benefit from that. So, I mean, it was just really bad field conditions, I think. Uh, but Kansas prepared for that. They were ready for that. And it was something that allowed them to really be able to, um, you know, nail things down and fight off one of those huge rallies that Iowa State was was uh, starting to, to kind of put together. So, on the defensive side, well, actually, first, real quick, the rest of the offense, was, was, was there anyone else that really stood out to you on offense? I, I mean, I, I don't think that there was really – too many guys. Obviously, Luke Grimm had some pretty big catches to convert third downs. Um, you know, but I don't think there was really anything else offensively that was just like, yeah, this guy was f- phenomenal. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Lawrence Arnold had some great catches. He had that one in the, really early on the game where on that fourth and 10, he skies and looks like he's, he's you know, going up for an alley-oop uh, and catches it. I do think I still, you know, even though the run game didn't have a a what a game that lives up to the standards that we put them to, Devin Neal is also still just a touchdown machine. And, you know, the, the ability yeah. to run – the wildcat and direct snap to him from seven yards out and he make it in uh, is just a, a luxury that, you know, not every team has by any means. And so, um, you know, even though, even though this was only, I think the the second time this year that Kansas didn't uh, achieve a hundred yards on the ground. Yeah. The Oklahoma state game was the only other one, you know, you still, you still get two touchdowns out of it. And Again, Devin Neal just back there still because he can do things like that is a reason why Iowa State has to to you know focus so much on it. But yeah, Jason Bean did a good job of of distributing the ball. He you know he was finding different receivers out there. He he actually um, he I guess targeted uh, eight different receivers. He actually completed passes to seven of them. So you know we saw some different uh, guys in there, even some big plays. You know Tanaka Scott had a had a twenty yard twenty one yard reception early in the game. So it, it, it was one of those things where I think this is becoming a theme with the Kansas offenses that it's not it's not usually just been one guy. It's very much a um, group effort of guys waiting their turn and picking their times. You know you've got. Devin Neal making a couple big plays and then it's being finding a, a dart and it's, you know, Skinner going up and double coverage and making incredible individual effort. Like it's, and then, you know, Jared Casey coming big on a, on a third down and one. And just, it, it's one of those things where there's not one or two guys that everyone else is on their back and, and that diversity and being able to trust so many different players is, is key. You know, Luke Grimm didn't have a great game, but he is the, the kind of like sh- short yardage one to 10 yard blanket and he was targeted more than any other receiver uh especially you know on third down uh being loves to go to him on the on the sidelines there and so um yeah you know i think that's that's kind of covers it off on the offense but it was again just one of those ones where it's it's all of those pieces together that makes him so hard to game game plan for and and i don't know if anyone else had a spectacular day where it's just like man you feel like you're calling their name every single series or something, but they each had their moments. And I think that's just all you need from this offense because you have enough of those guys who can each have their moments and you compile it up and you have a pretty good offensive uh, attack. Yeah. I think they have enough guys in Lawrence Arnold, you know, Quentin Skinner, Luke Grimm, like they have enough. Well, and, and even like Mason Fairchild, like they have enough guys that can be the focus that also draw defenders away from the other players. So Tanaka Scott gets open in you know, in the middle of the field for a 21 yard catch because um, you know, they're they're too busy trying to keep Arnold or Skinner or Grimm from getting the ball. Same thing with, you know, Doug Emelian. He had a 21-yard catch as well, his only catch of the night on his only target of the night because they were able to open up a hole for him to be able to get a big catch. So I think that's what this team does really well and what Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels before him were able to take advantage of was just the fact that they have so many guys that can be consistent, that can catch a big pass here and there, and they don't have to be a guy that gets into a ton of rhythm to be successful. I think that's the greatest the greatest asset that the Jayhawks have is that they don't have guys that need to get the ball consistently to be able to make big plays. They just have guys that are ready to make big plays when it's their turn. Um and, and sometimes that can work against you because you know you have guys that are a little bit a little bit malcontent because they're not getting the opportunities that they were expecting to get. But this is a team where everybody understands that they're gonna have an opportunity. It's not going to be as many, you know, opportunities as if you're the guy, but 
you're going to have an opportunity, make the most of it and you'll get more. And I think that's really what it comes down to. So, all right. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and, uh, jump to the defense as well, really quick, because you know, I think the big headline there for the defense was Melo Dotson getting his second, uh, or getting a pick six for the second straight game. Um, you know, that was a, a ugly pass by Rocco Beck that, that, uh, he was able to kind of take advantage of. It was behind the receiver, like, far enough that it literally went straight to Dotson. He had a nifty little spin move to get away from the receiver that was trying to come back to him and then just jogged into the end zone. So, um, you know, it was it was a great play. Again, guy in the right spot. And, you know, as much as Kobe Bryant gets upset about guys not coming to him, you know, not throwing it at him, the way that Dotson's been playing, he's going to start to see more people come that way. Now, Obviously, Dotson got injured, and Quentin Lasseter had to come in and finish out the game, and so they kind of picked on him a little bit. But when you have Dotson and Bryant both in there, it's going to be a lot harder for people to focus on Dotson because he's been able to step up and been able to do that kind of stuff. And it's going to give you know Kobe Bryant a lot more opportunities to be able to do the kind of things and pile up the stats that he wants to be able to pile up for this team. And you know, it's it's not a it's not a um, you know I'm mad because I'm not getting my stats. It's a I'm upset because I expected to be doing more for the team. And I mean, shutting down an entire side of the field does a whole bunch for the team. It just doesn't show up in the box score and you don't necessarily get the recognition of your contribution when you don't show up in the box score. So I understand his frustration, but he's also, you know, there's a reason he's one of the best corners in the big 12. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, you know, it's like the, like a, uh, and I'm not comparing him, but in the sense of like a Patrick Sertan in the NFL, where it's just like he gets targeted maybe twice a game, if nothing else. And it's just like, yeah, it seems like he's he's not going to um, to show up in probably the end of the season awards like the guys who are are getting multiple interceptions and whatnot. But you're right. Like the if we're talking about just pure like valuable players, having a cornerback that or that quarterbacks are just scared to even look at is about as valuable as it gets. Now, credit to Melo Dotson, who is making the most of the opportunities when they are targeting him and throwing at him. And I saw uh, Adam Sullivan on Twitter uh, called out that he's now tied for first in both single season and career interceptions for touchdowns at KU. It's pretty good. Um, but you're right. I think, I think it's one of those things where you're, you're, you're reaching the point where it's like, all right, pick your poison. Uh, opposing quarterback who do you want to whose side do you want to throw to and who do you want to kind of go after um but we've also seen i mean kobe bryant makes his his um presence felt in other ways with some big hits on on running backs who may get into the secondary and that sort of thing so he's he's still doing plenty don't worry kobe we we see you where you're you're doing just great but uh yeah the defense overall i mean this was you know i actually of course i i previewed the the rushing attacks for both teams in the preview and neither of them got to a hundred yards, but I think that's a testament for KU because uh, that's only the, you know, that's the least amount of rushing yards they've given up uh, outside of the BYU game in big 12 play. And actually outside of that, it's the the least yards per carry, a 2.6 that they've given up at, at any point this year. So even more than Missouri state. So they came to play. I think it was pretty, um, it was a pretty crazy stat that I think, what was it? It was at the end of the first quarter, Iowa state had 39 offensive yards and 31 penalty yards. Like it was just one of those things where, uh, when we talked about it, the, the defense would, it, when's it going to travel and it traveled this time and they, they were locked in and they were ready to go. I will say credit to Rocco Beck because as a freshman, 
to have the first half he did and to struggle and have guys flying all over you start the second half 10 for 10 and to hang in there uh, showed some guts. I think he's going to be a good one for them down the road. Um, so, you know, he, he made some plays individually and, and kept a minute. The second half, there was some, you know, that gauge keys roughing the passer kept the drive alive for Iowa state that then led to the Eli Sanders rushing touchdown. So it wasn't all perfect, but that, the defense came to play. They were flying around. They were making it tough on the freshman quarterback and, and the running game. We know Iowa State's running game is not as great as it was when you know Brees Hall was there. But still, this is a team who has in the past really gotten uh, lit up by, by certain opposing offenses. And they, they showed up and came to play early and often. It's credit to them. Well, and it's it's almost gotten to a meme at this point. Like when you're, you know, rushing – attack is struggling you want to play the Kansas the Kansas defense because they give up so many rushing yards and the fact that they were able to hold you know Oklahoma down for quite a while and then hold Iowa State down for quite a while on the rushing game I think was is is a great change for them and I think I was more impressed actually by the defensive effort here than against Oklahoma not because I think that Iowa State's a better you know a better offensive team but this is a team that plays significantly better at home We've, we've talked about it multiple times and a defense, especially the play significantly better at home to have that kind of energy, to have that kind of confidence and to be able to shut down and be in the backfield so often. Like, I, I think that was the, the other big thing was that they were able to be in the backfield um, on pretty much, you know, two out of every, you know, four plays. So, um, you know, every drive, they were back in that backfield affecting things at least, you know, four or five times on any drive that, you know, wasn't just a three and out. Um, they had seven tackles for losses. Uh, they get, uh, they made Iowa State give up the only two sacks they've given up at home all season long. Like, in fact, I, I made a mention of that, and uh, Craig Young was extremely happy to hear that stat. Um, you know, because him and Rich Miller were both involved in in different sacks in that game, and um, you know, so like Iowa State's been a pretty good offense at home, and they've been pretty good at protecting. Um, defenses do not typically come into Ames and just completely blow you out of the water. And while Kansas, you know, Kansas didn't completely blow Iowa State out of the water to have such a dominant first quarter, have such a, you know, it was still a fairly dominant, you know, rest of the first half as well. I mean, they went into the, they went into halftime 14 to three. And, you know, that final drive took some, some Kansas mistakes to allow them to be able to get down and kick that field goal. You can argue, and I know that I, a bunch of Iowa State fans are upset and rightfully upset about some of the officiating in that game. But, um, as, you know, as I was talking with some of them, it's like, yes, the officiating was horrible. Yes, Kansas probably benefited more from the horrible officiating than Iowa State did. But it wasn't so lopsided, and it wasn't the reason that Kansas was able to win that game. I don't even think it would have changed the situation enough to significantly affect the game. Um, you know, like specifically people talking about Jalen Noel – being ruled out of bounds on a, I believe it was a punt return. Um, you know, yeah, right yeah. after the, Which, right after the touchdown there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, sorry. So then yeah. it was a kickoff. Yeah. A kickoff. So it was a kickoff. Yeah, yeah. That's right. right. But like, you know, Kansas immediately came in and had the, they lost yards on the next three plays and then kicked a field goal. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not one of those things where you're looking at it and it's like, that was a huge swing in the game. I mean, yeah, they probably would have played some things a little bit differently if they were down at the four instead of down at the 31. But I also think that the way that the Kansas defense had been playing, I still think they probably would have held them to a field goal at, at that point, in which case we're not really talking about anything different other than a little bit of time coming off the clock. So, um, 
Yeah, and, and it to was be fair, Kansas actually had Kansas actually had fifteen more penalty yards called against them, and had eight penalties called against them to seven to Iowa State. So it was it was getting right. It was just it seemed. I think the word fans are probably getting at is it, it felt like they came in bunches, right? It felt like Iowa State got called for a bunch of them in the first half in bunches. It felt like Kansas when Iowa State was making that comeback, we're getting flagged for something just in bunches. And, and when it, when it's like that, it, it tends to make it feel like it's uh, yeah, the an other, even bigger impact than it is. The other thing, too, is that Kansas's <laughs> were coming on defense for the most part. Um, you know, when they did have it on offense, it wasn't enough to derail a drive, whereas Iowa State had derailed a couple of their drives when they had a call that was questionable. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody agrees that that officiating was absolutely atrocious. Um, unfortunately, you know, that just happens sometimes in, in the way that the game is played and there's not a whole lot you can do about it that, you know, I found it, I found it interesting that there was a, uh, that there was a, a, another controversial, like, you know, forward progress type of rule. This time Kansas was on the, on the opposite side of it. And, um, I'll argue just like with the last one that, you know, refs, when they see what they think is a runner giving himself up and his forward progress being stopped, it's not like they can instantaneously blow the whistle. So the fact that, you know, it was another second and a half to two seconds before the whistle blew and the ball was already out by the time the whistle blew, that's not when they deemed his forward progress to be stopped, just like they didn't, you know, the same thing with Oklahoma the week before. So if, if I'm going to argue against the the Jayhawks, you know, in, in the first situation, then I'm going to argue for them in the second situation because it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, and I think if we're talking about impacts on the game, I think the again the rush defense uh, for Kansas was a bigger impact there because it is crazy, and, and just actually the defense is it overall because the I mean Iowa State only had 16 first downs in the entire game, and that would be the third fewest mark of a that Kansas has held an opponent to. So I mean Illinois had more than that, um, you know BYU had more than that. Oklahoma had more than that. And obviously, as you would think, Central Florida, even though those games weren't nearly as close. Um, and I think the big telling thing is, is that I'll let you take a step. So in the in the four previous games, the Kansas defense has averaged allowing opponents get 12 first downs by the run. So from the Texas game to the Oklahoma game, those opponents averaged 12 first downs a game via run. Do you know how many first downs Iowa State got via the run? I think it was two. Without looking. It was four is what they credited them okay. with. But still, the fact that you, you go from basically in the, if you look at the last four game, it's 14, 13, 11, 10, and now you only give up four first downs from the run. That was the difference. You think about like the Oklahoma State game. Uh, they just, Ollie Gordon was getting six or seven yards on second and third down whenever he wanted. And it's just, it's so demoralizing. Obviously, a great pass, passing attack hurts. But when, when like a Texas can just run it, up your gut over and over again. It's such a demoralizing feeling. And I think that was a big stepping point for the defense was just to get off the field and show that it could. Um, And that's a big difference in the game is that in the past, they have just not been able to get off the field on third downs and they're, and they're losing it by the running game, which is, you know, makes the clock run at that, you know, it doesn't give less time for your offense. So that's a big, that's a big, uh, uh, point of emphasis, I think, uh, from Brian Borland in the defense that I saw in this game that I'm curious to see now watching that kind of trend throughout the rest of the year, how they're able to perform. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're they're playing against teams that aren't extremely efficient in the run, um, you know, with the exception of Kansas State. DJ Giddens obviously is, um, for, for a while, was, you know, looking like he was going to be a runaway winner of, you know, one of the spots for Big 12 all-first team. Um not sure it's quite so 
definitive now, but um, you know, Kansas has some opportunities, I think, to kind of continue to flex and build that confidence. One spot that is still an issue that we thought was fixed in the offseason but has reared its ugly head again is is the special teams, specifically the kicking. Seth Keller uh, missed a field goal that was, I mean, it was a longer field goal, but it wasn't like outside of the range that you would expect him to be able to hit it. And then Owen Peppergatis, Peppergurdes, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, I, one of these days I'll actually get it right. I think I've said it four or five different ways. Um but he he also missed a 50-yard kick as well. Like, I think that's on the outside of his, like, that's at the very edge of his range. So I'm not necessarily that surprised that he missed it. But the fact that you have a kicking game that you can no longer rely on when it looked like it was something that was fixed is a little disappointing. Uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to do the rest of the year. But, you know, there's a reason that they benched a couple different kickers last year um, and then went and made it a priority in the transfer portal to bring in a kicker. So I'm not sure what's going on with Seth Keller. I'm hoping it was just an instance where, you know, he wasn't feeling well or there was something else going on. It didn't like appear to be a hold issue or anything like that. They both made two extra points as well, Owen and 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 Seth both did. So it's not like they just couldn't kick at all. Um, I'm not really sure what it was. I'm not really sure what the, what the, uh, the answer is there. But I will note it was kind of funny that this was, you know, last year when Kansas won, Iowa State missed three field goals. And Kansas won by a field goal this year. Kansas missed two field goals. The only two field goals that they tr- attempted, and Iowa State was still not able to use that to their advantage. I mean, they had much better special teams than Kansas did in this game, and Kansas was still able to win. I was going to say that when you were talking about you didn't know what it was, I said so that it's probably karma from the last game is how Iowa State fans would say it because Iowa State's two for two in the field goal unit this time. KU's zero for two, and you're right, and it doesn't even matter. You know, like if you think of – all things being equal and, and what Keller had been able to do in past games. And this is a, you know, two possession game and, and the outcome looks pretty different in the way that you strategize that is, is pretty different because both of those misses came in the first half. So when you're talking about could have been, you know, 21 to three at halftime, it could have been it, <clears throat> instead of 21 to three, it could have been 27 to three. And that's, you know, that looks pretty different, but yeah, this, it was, um, it was not lost on me that Iowa state happened to be the game where the one team, was really good from the kicking game and the other one couldn't make anything, but I'm just glad that it was in a situation where the outcomes weren't reversed. Yeah. You know what else is not lost on us? It is the fantastic or just how fantastic the collection is at our sponsor here on the podcast. Uh, the Charlie hustle clothing company, Charlie hustle is a Kansas city based company that specializes in vintage collegiate apparel. They have more than 30 different schools, including Kansas, Kansas state, you know, everything in the area here and all of the Big 12 schools with the exception of Cincinnati. Um, you know, look, they have fantastic stuff. They have the, J- the Jalen Daniels t-shirt. They have a whole bunch of football helmet tees. They've got bomber jackets, sweaters, hoodies, all kinds of great stuff. And of course, with the beginning of basketball season here, they also have a bunch of different NIL shirts for a ton of different Kansas players. They have Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, um, you know, they have Kevin McCuller. They just have a ton of fantastic stuff. There are so many shirts that I want to get that unfortunately I can't afford to get them all. But you guys can save a little bit of money when you go over there and pick out your favorites and use promo code 101215. That is T-E-N-1215. It will give you 15% off all of non, all non-sale items on the website. Um, get over there, save some great stuff, start loading up and getting ready for the holiday season. Um, you know, you're going to find some great stuff for anybody, even if they're not KU fans. If you know, it's, it's all right. The code still works. 10, 12, 15, say 15% on everything that is a, that is not on sale already over at charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. 
All right, I do want to, we are going to jump over to basketball, but before we do that, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We went a little bit long. We will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis, de- deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We, of course, are recapping all of the action from this weekend. Um, you know, just got done talking Kansas football. Before we uh, jump over to basketball, I will mention that the Kansas volleyball team, which ranked 14th in the volleyball poll and is trying to close in on the opportunity to be able to host the first and second round of the volleyball tournament coming up. Um, they were able to sweep Kansas state. I'm sorry. They won both matches. The first one was a five set thriller. The second one was a, was a three set sweep for the Jayhawks. They are absolutely rolling right now. And they are one of five teams in the big 12 that are looking to be hosting um, for the, for the tournament coming up. So again, if you have not had an opportunity to get out there, um, you know, take a look, find a way to do it, even if it has to be in the in the playoffs in that tournament. Um, it is well worth your time. You definitely want to be there if you if you can. So, all right, let's jump over to basketball. Obviously, the men started last night. The women will start on Wednesday night. Um, so we don't really have anything to talk about yet with the women because they have not had their first their first game yet. But on the men's side, obviously, last night from when we're recording this, uh, NC Central came to Allen Field House. And let me tell you, it was uh, like, I thought this game was going to be a bloodbath and it was even worse than I thought. Uh, well, and I'm, I'm the dingus who uh, picked NC central to, to cover uh, for some reason, but that's neither here nor there. That 30 points in any game is just kind of scary for me, but yes, that, um, you know, listen, it's small sample size. It's very small sample size. Uh, so it's nice to see, though, that they, unlike maybe what you had heard online, um, they do possess the ability to make an outside shot. So that's nice. But I think some of the things that, again, not only is a small sample size, but the level of competition is not the same. You know, NC State only, or NC State, NC Central only had one player, 6'9 is their tallest player. Uh, everyone else was 6'8 or shorter, and they only had one 6'8 player on there, too. So, um, uh, it was not exactly, you know, it, it's not exactly the the Kentucky 
rosters of the last couple of years that that Dickinson and others were going up against. But still, I think some of the things that you can take away from that game are things that are going to resonate uh, and be really impressive. I mean, the the 34 assists on 39 made field goals is <clears throat> and pretty incredible no matter who you're playing. And the fact that the ball just moved as well as it did, you, you could see some some groups starting to get in there. And obviously, yes, it you know, to, to coin a favorite from Bill Self, you know, it, it looks a lot better when the ball is going in. But even without that, I think I would argue that part of the reason why the shots were going in was because the execution and setting them up on those passes uh, was was just really making those looks op- uh, much easier. And obviously, you know, Hunter Dickinson wasted no time uh, just capitalizing on his debut and just going off, causing, you know, NC Central to call a timeout 100 seconds into the game because he already had seven points and they hadn't scored yet. Yeah, I mean, we've complained enough about ESPN Plus here, but I missed the first two and a half minutes of the I did game too. because, hey, yep. guess what? They Same. couldn't figure out how to actually get the broadcast started. But all I know it, is it that was when still, I, this, the event was starting soon. is right, flashing exactly. on the screen. All as, I know as it's, yeah. is that when I finally was able to tune in, Kansas was up seven to nothing because Hunter Dickinson had scored seven straight points to start the game. Um, he broke ESPN plus is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. And the fact that, you know, I did not re- look, I knew that Hunter Dickinson was going to be great. I did not realize that he was going to be our three point sharpshooter. Um, you know, he was three of three from beyond the arc in this game. You could tell that he was feeling it. Um, you know, as good as he was, he actually did not even lead the team in scoring. That was Kevin McCuller with 22 points. Um, I saw a ton of people that were upset that Dewan Harris, did not, uh, you know, shoot the ball at all. But let me tell you, when you, the rest of your team is performing that well, do you really want a guy like Dewan Harris shooting the ball? Um, like, if your option is a Dewan Harris three from outside or a lob into Hunter Dickinson so he can slam it, which one would you take? I would take that lob every single time. Yeah, and he's, you know, 10 assists to two turnovers is, is a great way for – uh Juan to start and honestly he he took to Instagram I don't know if you saw it basically uh you know the Instagram equivalent of of quote tweeting and was like uh you know I'll shoot what I need to shoot uh and basically saying hey they didn't need me to shoot because we were so dominant last night so yeah you're right he was he looked perfectly in his element just running the show dishing throwing lobs uh but even him like it was not even just him like the I think the obviously we know Hunter Dickinson has has proven he is a good passer for a big man. I think we've seen the relationship between him and KJ Adams already, but like Kevin McCullough's passing looks a lot better. Even the way, you know, Nick Timberlake's rotating the ball around the perimeter. Johnny Furphy's, you know, always seems to be, we'll talk about him, I'm sure, it seems to be in the right place at the right time. Like this this group, though, just seemed like they're already gelling really well. Um, and I know it's just the first game, but and it helps when shots go in. But I think this is... Um, you know, it's one of those things too where the exhibition games, it it's tough to remember. It's like, yeah, they had Puerto Rico, but Arterio Morris was playing twenty five minutes a game in there, and you have to. It's just a different dynamic when you're throwing new guys at the two and trying to figure things out. And I think this one went a long way to to getting a confidence boost. Not only seeing the ball go in, but also again, I think that the passing of this team, being able to run in transition, that's one of the reasons why you knew it could be scary, is because. Uh, NC Central historically has turned the ball over quite a bit, and you knew that that's where Kansas wanted to be. Long rebounds or turnovers, they want to run. And that's where you've seen it's like it's a very unselfish team. And I think maybe in the exhibition games, they were unselfish to a fault. 
Um, and now this was the, but this was the, 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 you know, very high on the good end of the spectrum of what happens there. And you just saw so many guys get involved. And again, the assist numbers, you know, you have uh, six or sorry, four players who have at least five or more assists in the game. That's pretty incredible. Um, you have nine players who recorded an assist just overall and the passing and, you know, the shooting is not going to like, that's, that's going to regress to a mean. They're not going to shoot 79% from the floor and they're not going to shoot uh, 56% from three. That's for sure. Uh, although it's interesting, the 79% from the, from two point range was uh, number one in the country last night, but the passing and the spacing and just the way that, already guys are starting to come into their roles. I think, and, and that comes into Harris, knowing his role and executing it better than anybody, arguably. I think that's what gives you hope for the consistency of this team. And that even if some of those shots don't fall, they just create so many good open looks for themselves. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, this is a team, like, like you said, the assists are the things that I think makes me super optimistic for how well this team can maintain this level of play, obviously not, like you said, not 79% from two and, you know, 57% from three, like those are obviously difficult to maintain or if not impossible to maintain throughout the entire season. But what we do know is that this is a team that is able to pass, has that kind of chemistry that you need. And I was, I was more impressed by the interior passing from Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams than I was from the passing from Dewan Harris. And that's saying something because he's damn impressive. You know, Dewan Harris is probably the best passer in all of college basketball. But when you have interior passing as well as they have as well, that can have a much bigger impact on a game than a point guard who is, you know, dishing the ball out where it needs to be. Um, because it it's just, it's not something that you expect the team to be able to do. You don't expect a Hunter Dickinson uh, to be able to, you know, get five assists from the center position. I mean, you know, and in, in only 24 minutes of play, like, yes, obviously the competition level has a ton to do with this. But you look at a team like Michigan State that lost to, you know, James Madison, who, uh, again, it's, you know, they're, they, they were extremely overmatched and somehow were able to hold in against Michigan State. It's one of those things that happens every once in a while. Um, but the Kansas One of 20 State, from three will do that to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Parts were one of, one of 20 from three is when you're shooting 5%. When you're shooting single digits, uh, that's not exactly a recipe for victory. No, that, that is definitely a good point. But, you know, Kansas, Kansas also only had 10 turnovers in this game at a 50, so a, a 15% turnover rate. Um, you know, they weren't turning NC Central over very much, but I think a lot of that was because NC Central was not shooting very well. Um, so they didn't necessarily need to try to turn them over very much. Like there wasn't. And two of those turnovers were the walk-ons coming in too. So if you want to say even the guys who are going to play, you've got eight over the course of what, like 30, 35 minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a good point. Like they didn't turn the ball over very much, but they also didn't need to really kind of push to get NC central to give them the ball back. So I think, I think that's definitely something that they will be working on, um, you know, in the next few games. Obviously, when you get to the Champions Classic, the goal is to, uh, you know, be able to turn a lot of this into into stuff against a high-level opponent. And I think that they'll have the opportunity to do that. But, um, yes, you can't look at a line and say, oh, my gosh, I expect, you know, I now expect Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson to average 20 a game. I expect KJ Adams, you know, to average in double digits. And, you know, like there's a there is going to be problems. There is going to be times where they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do, and it's not going to work this well. But – the fact that what you saw are things that are that can be repeated, they can be replicated. Good passing, good court vision, 
taking good shots, being strong up for rebounds. Um, they won't always have this much success in doing it or, you know, shooting threes even, but they are doing it in a way that is sustainable and a way that they can replicate against some of the better teams. And I think that's all you can ask for. Anybody who was worried after the loss to Illinois in the exhibition, um, one doesn't understand what an exhibition is for. And I mean, you, you looked at the way that the coaches were acting. You looked at the way that a lot of the players were acting. They were doing it for charity. They were putting on a show. They were trying to work on things that they needed to work on. And, you know, I think and not run a bunch of their stuff to give anybody well, right. footage yeah. ahead of the Yeah, season. yeah, right. Yeah. That, that, that's the other thing, too, is that normally this is a closed, you know, a closed door scrimmage where you can show some of the stuff. You can work on some of the stuff that you want because you're not going to worry about it being a nationally televised thing. And, you know, if there's any worry about Kentucky knowing what it is that they want to do against a higher level of competition, then uh, you don't show that in an ex- in a nationally televised exhibition game. You know, even most exhibition games aren't nationally televised. Like you have to go out of your way to get the the tape for it. And and while you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if Kentucky went out of their way to make sure they got it. Like it's still not a super easy thing to do. Like you can do with a nationally televised exhibition game. So, um, I think long story short, El Marco Jackson, I thought did really well uh, playing from the two. But I, I also don't think you know he had some foul trouble pretty early. I don't I don't know that he is at this moment for sure the clear number two guy. You know, I think Nick Timberlake did quite a bit. Um Johnny Furphy had some good minutes as well. I do think that there's definitely some room for Jackson to not only get better himself, but also to be pushed by a few of these other guys as well. Yeah, the the thing that Marco has is just the the, the physicality speed and ability and the speed. to get oh my the, gosh. The, the getting to the rim. Like when I <clears throat> now he's he's a bigger body type but his ability to get to the rim on a couple of those reminded me a little Devon Dotson-esque um and again a bigger more physical version of it but his his just his first step into the lane is so fast now yeah the defense is going to take a bit and you know there's those were some silly uh I think you know Derek on his uh, player ratings today called him just silly freshman fouls like thir- you know behind the three-point line just the hand checking kind of things but in terms of, you know, I always give freshmen a pass, too, because I, the nerves in your first collegiate game at a place like AU, you know, on TV, like I'm I'm sure, especially when you're starting as a freshman, uh, you know, that, that's got to be nerve wracking. But, yeah, you didn't see anything concerning from him. I, I also I think Furphy is one of those guys who it's going to take him a bit to come along, but he just looks like he's he knows what he's doing. He's in the right spot. He makes the right decision. He's some, he just looks like a high IQ guy. I wish uh, Jamari McDowell could have played in this game because I think this would have been a really good one for him to uh, get, you know, 15 to 20 minutes out there and get some run and, and know he doesn't have to worry about making a mistake and getting pulled. But also, I, I you know, I think um, I put this on, on Twitter last night. I won't call it X. Uh, I refuse. But, you know, Parker, mm-hmm. Parker, Parker Brown is one of those that's not going to get much of the hype, but he is already feeling like just that, like, Mr. Dependable, where kind of like Furphy, he just like he's he's more obviously he's he's athletic enough. He can go catch lobs, that sort of thing. But he again is he puts himself in good uh, situations. He understands angles and spacing and he can go. You can play him 15 or 20 minutes and he can get you a couple buckets, some rebounds, maybe a block in there. And I think, you know, this is no I think for the people who are kind of really worried about the team this year, I would just say 
forget the four main key starters. If you just look at the quote unquote role guys this year and what we've seen so far and even just know what they can do. So know what a Parker Brown and, and a Nick Timberlake and, and El Marco can do versus like, you know, again, no disrespect, but just like MJ Rice and, um, and, uh, you know, Yesafu and some of those guys, we just never really saw it. And I think the, it's going to take a little bit, but I think the ceiling is much higher with this group of role guys. And we're already seeing guys like Parker who just, they, they know what's needed from them. They know where they would go. They know angles. They're just smart players who can help give a rest and, and not make it easy when Dickinson and others are out. And so I'm, I think that was the one that, you know, obviously Dickinson put on a show. McCullough was great as always, you know, KJ's athletic as heck. But those guys were what really, I think, impressed me with, you know, just their, their, the way they played together, their knowledge, the passing, just, it seems like it's starting to click and it's not anywhere near it. Like Johnny Furphy, I think is going to be a completely different player in February than he is right now. But you're seeing some of these seeds planted. And even with El Marco, you can see the things he can do uh, getting to the rim that just we didn't have last year, didn't have a, a last couple of years, which I think is going to be big when it comes, especially in conference play. Yeah, the one thing that uh, Parker Brown reminds me a lot of the Kevin Young type energy guy, a uh, little bit more reserved than Kevin Young was when he got on the court, but the same sort of thing. He knows what his role is. He knows how to execute it in a way that's going to get other guys energized because I think that was the biggest thing that I saw from him wasn't even necessarily what he was doing yes he was five of five from the field uh I'm sorry from two and got 10 points but you know it was I think much less about that and more about how he was able to get everybody else going as well so um you know he is I think he's going to be a crucial spot it's great to have another brown on the team um but, uh, yeah, Johnny Furphy is going to be, like, your true energy guy, I think, just the way that he plays. He's going to be extremely upbeat and really moving quickly and stuff. But Brown is going to be that dependable side of it that, you know, I, I, I see him getting a lot more minutes than a lot of people, I think, expected uh, coming into the year just because he does – he has, he has that steadying influence but also that pick-me-up that they need in a lot of different cases, I think, to, to help them to be successful – Obviously, if one of the other guys can develop into that role, you know, thinking about like an, um, you know, if, if El Marco Jackson can start doing that or if, you know, you can start to see some of the other, uh, you know, even like Jamari McDowell or, you know, other guys that can develop into that role. I don't think Parker Brown's the most talented guy, but he has a very, very good role on this team. I'm, you know, think, think guys like Christian Moody or, you know, other guys that were integral parts of their, of their squads, but, were not the guys you first think of when you think of stars. All right. Yeah, I mean, this is about, about all you could have asked for from a, from a debut on most levels. There's really not a whole lot of nitpicking to be done uh, from this one, you know, even granted the competition and everything else like the, it just, it's, it was one of those words like, you know, what? that was a, that was a good first effort. I know we got to see it against bigger competition, but there's really, really hard to find nitpicks after that performance. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great performance. So, all right, we have, just a little bit of time left um, to take a look ahead for either the basketball team or the football team. Um, obviously, coming up this week, we have Kansas basketball, men's basketball, playing Manhattan at home on Friday. Uh, we also have the women's basketball team that is, uh, you know, they are opening the season uh, against Northwestern State uh, coming up on Wednesday. We, and then we have the the football team that is hosting Texas Tech nice and early at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Um, you know, which one of the one, first of all, which one of those do you think is going to be the most entertaining? 
Oh, that's a good question because entertaining doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. I think um, I, I'll, I'll say the football game. I think Manhattan is is better than NC Central, but also they barely won yesterday. They've shot one of 16 from three. So outside shooting might be a bit of an issue for them as well. Uh, and who knows, maybe that was just a strange, strange like offset or whatnot. But yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the, the Texas Tech game because um, – I think you saw, you know, obviously Kansas came out basically as a three-point favorite, which, you know, given the home team, that's almost basically saying you're you're looking at these teams about equal. And it's just – it's interesting to me because Texas Tech just doesn't have the resume of a team who, compared to Kansas at seven and two and just some of the wins, like Texas Tech is four and five. And they've only played one ranked team all year. That was Oregon, and they lost that game. They've, you know, their three Big 12 wins are Houston, Baylor, and TCU. I just don't know what to make of that. Like, I think they have a very good running back um, uh, that is going to give them uh, trouble. And that's uh, Taj Brooks, who went over 1,000 yards in the last game, the TCU game on Thursday. I think it's also interesting because Tech had a couple extra days. They played on Thursday last week, so they've had basically a week and a half to prepare. But it's just interesting because they really haven't – they played K-State. Uh, and they lost by 17. They really haven't, they're scheduled. They haven't, you know, they played Texas in the year. They haven't played Oklahoma. They haven't played Oklahoma State. They don't at any point. Uh, so I just don't know what to make of this team. And I think it's interesting that, again, not saying that Kansas is going to win by more than three. I was surprised that a team of Kansas's resume at home against a team of Texas Tech's resume was not giving more respect. And I think if, if that's probably where Kansas is right now, where if you change the name out and you put, whoever else um uh with with kansas reds made just a different name on there and i think they're you know like give them like texas a&m if you say that texas a&m is 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 seven and two with wins over whatever like kansas has and they're playing a four or five team i think texas a&m's favored by six seven eight or i don't know if it's going like, to go that way but I'm, yeah or even like k-state like if you put k-state on yeah, there yeah like k-state would probably be a touchdown and a half favorite like i think i bet they would be a 10 point favorite against texas tech this weekend if, if that was where it was i do think that there is you know i i honestly was less surprised by the three and a half line that it's sitting at right now um than i was by the over under because the over under last i saw was at 51 which means that either they like either they don't expect either team to be able to score very well, which I don't know why you would think that Kansas couldn't score at home. Um, or they're expecting Texas tech to not really be competitive, but then that doesn't mention, you know, that doesn't mesh with the three and a half. So, so really what right. the three conference games, if the tech has scored 35 or more points in their three wins in the conference games. And when they've lost, it's been under, it's been only once have they hit 20 points when they've lost. So it's been, they've scored 13, 14 and 21 in their three losses. They scored 35, 39, and 49 in their three wins. Uh, just in the last six games, not all of them, obviously. But like that's, um, yeah, you, you either, it's got to be one or the other. You have to do either, you know, KU by seven and have an over under of 51 or KU by three and have an over under of 60. Those things just don't really compute together. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see how that kind of comes together. I think the biggest problem is that I'm not really sure what to make of the Texas Tech team because I think they still have they still have some good pieces. They can still kind of do some things here and there. But, you know, you look at their success and it's come against teams that they've struggled or that have been struggling, like Houston, Baylor, you know, they, they have their four wins are against Tarleton State, Houston, Baylor, and TCU. They lost 
you know, by two scores against BYU. They lost quite a, you know, quite handily against K-State at home. They lost at West Virginia. I They were a little bit more competitive in that game than I thought they might have been. But this is a team that has underachieved, I think, from what they were expected to beginning of the year. But I also don't know, like, looking back on it now, is like there was a ton of optimism because of expectations about what was going to happen, not because of things that we've actually seen that were like, hey, you know, this guy is a whole lot better. So, um, yeah, it's a it's, – uh, Oh, and then, of course, breaking news as we are recording. The college football playoff rankings just came out. Uh, Kansas, well, I should say they are announcing them right now. And uh, Kansas comes in at number 16 this week. They were 21 last week. So they are 7-2 and two, directly ahead of Oklahoma um, and, just, and also two spots ahead of Utah. I know that there's some Utah fans that are extremely upset right now, but um, I'm going to be honest. I don't really feel that bad for them. So... This is a, uh, you know, this is about where I expected uh, them to be. Oklahoma State is right ahead of them at number 15. So, um, you know, it's all kind of bunched up in there. Like, theoretically, if you think that Oklahoma State has a chance to potentially get to the college football playoff, um, hey, then guess what? Uh, Kansas probably has a chance, too, because, I mean, yes, it's a harder road for them to be able to actually get to the Big 12 championship. But um, they basically have the same requirements at this point. You got to get to the Big Twelve Championship. You got to win it. You got to win out the rest of the way. So, um, you know, they've got they've got a chance. This is uh, fantastic to see. You know, it's it's this feels just as validating as when Kansas rose all the way up to number two in the BCS rankings during that uh, two thousand seven two thousand eight season. So, uh, looking forward to seeing how much further they can push this. And with the games that they have the rest of the year, there's a really good shot that they could go ahead and push it and get all the way. Uh, you know, all the way up there into some serious contention for a, uh, a new year six bowl. So um, excited to kind of see that. So, all right, Kyle, anything else that uh, you think we need to talk about before we get out here for the day? No, I think we covered it. It's a fun time. I think uh, we got, it's good. I'll just say this. I'll end it on this. We got uh, a lot coming up, basketball, football, volleyball. So just, you know, bootwingsrising.com. Go ahead and just book that bookmark that on your on your browser of choice, whatever it may be, Chrome, Safari, and uh, just keep hitting it up because we've got a lot to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I will say my one regret from this season was that I was not able to cover volleyball like I did last year. Um, just too many other things going on and with stuff kind of picking up for football stuff, it was it was unfortunate that I wasn't able to kind of get that kind of coverage. But I am looking forward to definitely covering their, their tournament run. Hopefully it's a very long one. Um, and I'm definitely keeping track of all of it. So we will... I promise we'll get some more coverage on those coming up here in the next week or two. Um, but again, thank you so much for joining me, Kyle. Thank you guys so much for listening. And of course, definitely go over there to Blue Wings Rising bookmark that because we're going to have a ton of stuff uh, coming up here. This is the the magical time for sports coverage because all the sports converge in terms of the new ones starting and the old ones still really kind of working on their, their postseason formats or getting to the end of the season. So, all right. Uh, Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. If you guys haven't already, please do go out where, wherever you get your podcasts, where it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. 
Um, there's you know tons of great shows covering specific teams or sports. Go over to 1012network.com. And you can get links to all of the shows that we have over there. Um, we are, of course, also partnered with Sports Social. Uh, that is Europe's largest sports-dedicated network. Um, really enjoy working with them as well. But make sure you guys visit our sponsors, uh, Charlie Hustle and Price Picks, and get some great deals with them over there. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for joining me, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.